Welcome to the NIHR Dementia Researcher podcast, brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk, in association with Alzheimer's Research UK and Alzheimer's Society, supporting early career dementia researchers across the world. Hi everyone, welcome to the Dementia Researcher podcast. Once again, you're stuck with me, Associate Professor Yvonne Couch. I'm an Alzheimer's Research UK Fellow at the University of Oxford. And if you're joining us today for the first time, you're in the middle of a mini series on postdoc life. So go back and have a listen to the first episode where we use our experience to give helpful hints and tips for early career researchers and where we give more extensive introductions on our backgrounds and what we do. As before, I'm joined by Dr. Kritika Somsi, Senior Research Fellow at King's College London, Dr. Sarah Kate Smith, Research Fellow at Sheffield Hallam, and Dr. Kam Amin Ali at the University of Glasgow. I've personally titled this one, Avoiding the Ostrich Approach, because so much about the academic situation seems to result in us just sticking our heads in the sand. But talking about these things is important, otherwise nothing ever gets changed. Anyone who's read or listened to any of my blog posts knows I love a good quote. So I'm gonna start this one with something from Joe Mitchell, writing on the Global Academy Jobs website. She says that the instability of the academic job market means that some of the world's most highly qualified people work in the most precarious, insecure conditions with the expectations that they will continue to produce excellent work, publish regularly, win grants, and demonstrate lasting impact, which is bang on and a very depressing description of academic life. So instead of talking about that first, what we're going to do is discuss the upsides. We'll come to everyone but I think we'll start with you, Cam. You chose to come back to academia, having experienced life on the outside. What are the aspects of academic life that you particularly enjoy when you think about them in comparison to your other job? When I worked for the NC3Rs, so for those of you, if you haven't heard the first episode, they're a research funder in the UK. I was actually involved in many different activities, such as writing, sitting on ethics committees, organizing symposia and just generally supporting researchers and animal facility staff in the universities that I worked in. So part of what appeals to me about academia is the range of activities that you can be involved in day to day. My job as a program manager for the ANC Thrives was actually quite similar in that respect in that I was doing so many different activities and that's something that really really appeals to me because I can lose attention quite easily on a on a task or an activity so I like the opportunity to be able to shift and do something that is really quite different but as I mentioned before I had to travel quite a lot in that job and I felt like that long term it wasn't sustainable so that's why I returned to academia but it's that wide range of different tasks and different activities that I can be involved in that really does appeal to me yeah so I can go from being in the lab to then writing, to then analysing data. And, and I just really, really like that aspect of, of my research. Yeah, I enjoy the fact that I almost, it's not that I don't know what I'm going to do every day, but I like the fact that it's very variable. And if something isn't working or something's frustrating me, I can just jump, I can switch to another project. I can, I can go, right, the lab's not for me this week. It's not nothing's functioning, my cells aren't growing, my animals aren't here, whatever the case may be. And I can switch and I can go and sit and do some data analysis, or I can start writing a paper, or I can start writing some animal ethics stuff. There are opportunities for me to move around depending on 
you know, what I'm feeling on any particular day. I completely agree. I find that one of the best things about academia, but attached to that, I also feel the flexibility. So no one's really determining what you do on any given day. Like you said, Yvonne, if you don't feel like it's a day that it's working out in the lab, you can't take a break from it because there's, first of all, lots of other things you could be doing anyway. But it also is research in itself is one of those cyclical processes that collecting a little bit of data can feed into a little bit of data analysis. You're not waiting for the entire lot to be done, or sometimes you're not, at least in the field I work in, which is qualitative research. You can start off with a bit, you can move on with a little bit more, and the flexibility of the research process itself kind of lends itself to uh, you determining what you do on any given day, which I absolutely love about academia. Definitely. And for me, that research process is almost the bit that, that makes me excited about coming to work. Sarah, your previous job was very different from, from what you do now. How I, I don't want you to compare the two because that would be crazy, but what is it about academia that you particularly enjoy? <clears throat> do you know, I think um, it's meaningful. And I don't mean to disrespect anybody working in sales because if that's what the, well, I did it for years. But I got to a stage where I needed meaning in my job and real and really connecting with people in a more meaningful way than such a superficial way of selling them something. Um, and, I, and I know that that doesn't sound great, but for me, it was all about meaning. And there's so many positives about academia. And I don't want to say that it's all negative because it so isn't. And I think the most important aspect for me is applying, being a health, applied health researcher is actually applying my research um, and making a difference in, in, in to people's real lives. I'm passionate about teaching. That's one of the, the big things for me in academia that I can teach um, and use my research results to inform that my teaching and that's very very important to me and, and I think other fantastic opportunities is the potential to travel I've been Japan I've been to Canada I've been to Colorado I've visited most of Europe through my research and that's it you know it's not uh, it's not on holidays these it's all it's all been research and I think I, you have your favourites, uh, favourite parts of the research process. And I'm not, my favourite isn't sitting down and writing, <laughs> um, uh, which I don't know if that's, that's just me or I shouldn't be in academia. But actually, I love the networking. I love the connecting. I love meeting my research heroes. And, um, you know, people laugh at me because they think I have like an autograph book and get, you know, autographs <laughs> 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 from different authors who are my heroes. But it's such a huge positive, you know, and I like chatting to people and that networking goes some way, hopefully, towards the future collaborations and, uh, you know, cementing something um, positive in the future. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things that I almost I, I'm not a natural networker. I, I get very nervous at networking events. I get very sweaty. I don't like talking to new people. It makes me tense. But glass of wine down and I'm fine, especially if we're talking about science. And I think that's the one thing that I almost did miss a little bit was getting together with people I know, people I don't know, and just going, this is what I'm doing. What are you doing? Oh, look, we're both doing the same thing. And you, then you get sort of you get snowballed into this really exciting chat about something really nuanced and niche. But it's it's fun. And and like you say, getting to do that in somewhere like Barcelona or Kyoto is absolutely amazing. When you get to chat science in somewhere stunning, I think that's a, a fabulous upside to the job. Uh, going back to Sarah's point, I just feel like even just here, we're all so different in the things we like. And I think this is what I like about academia. My research 
unit itself is so diverse. It attracts different personalities and different types of people with a crazy eye for detail or people who write really quick blogs that draw in readers, people who are really good at networking, some people who do slow scholarship. I just think you can learn so much. I feel like in a corporate setting, I've never worked in a corporate setting, but I feel like everyone might be a type or might present a type, whereas in academia, you're a little bit more authentic or you're allowed to be yourself because the research process allows different strengths to come out at different times or different studies ask you to be a different type of person. So I think there is the environment kind of draws that out of you. And I love that about academia. Yeah, and I think over time, it also allows you to grow a little bit as a person. And I think that for me, maybe one of the reasons to stick around a little bit is to see how I can develop. So I remember during my PhD, I was roped into doing some teaching and I was terrified and I really didn't want to do it. And I had a very forceful boss who basically went, yeah, you're doing this. It'll be good for you. And I went, I really enjoyed it. And then the same person roped me into actual academic teaching. So tutorials and things whilst I was doing my postdoc and I continue to do them and I gripe about them a lot, but I do actually really enjoy them. And I love having students in the lab. I really love having PhD students because I love watching them grow. And I think the idea of hopefully at some point becoming a PI and and learning those kind of I don't want to say management skills because that makes it sound really dull, but the idea of having sort of a lot of projects on the go and like juggling that kind of all the interpersonal skills required to have lots of different personality types in the lab and lots of different projects on the go. I think the idea of learning that makes me really excited about sort of my future in academia. So these are all wonderful things that we enjoy about academic life, but there are definitely some downsides and I think it's important to highlight them. So we can have a good gripe about them so that the younger kids are aware of the issues. Kritika, I know you have younger children. How do you think an academic career has affected your work-life balance? So my children are five and a half and eight. So I, I had my children when I was lucky enough to be in a contract that allowed me to take maternity leave. I feel it's important to say that just because I recognize now that I'm supporting junior researchers and we are kind of like thinking of this kind of advice and things like that you rec- I realized that again luck has played a part in it where I had a contract and I got pregnant at a time that I wanted to and it worked out and again I don't think it's fair that we should be having to make these choices and decisions based on something that is out of our control in lots of ways now that my kids are of a certain school going age I like the flexibility of academia. So just to start with the positives, I really like that I can be really flexible about when I work, what I do, when I stop work. I can pick them up from school if they're having a bad week. I can be home with them. What I So my work life, I like to say my work life balance is pretty good, but my work life boundaries are atrocious. I work after they're asleep. I work till really late at night. So I feel like it ma- damages my health and my well-being. But I have the flexibility. So I try to see the positives. I anyway try to see the positives in most situations, but I think I see the positives in that if I worked in a corporate sector, I would have to be at my desk till six o'clock potentially or on calls till six o'clock and I wouldn't get time with my family. So I I value the fact that academia allows me to have that, but I feel like the workload is getting more and more intense and your children still need you, however old they get. So I feel in lots of ways, the boundaries are very blurred and damaging. Yeah, and I think that, if you do have children, it is nice to be able to sort of, I don't want to say knock off at three to go and pick them up, but I know a lot of people who, you know, they have that flexibility to go and collect their children at three. 
But like you say, then you end up going, well, I've stopped at three and that means I'm sort of two and a half hours short of a normal working day, whatever that counts as. And so you then do another two and a half hours after dinner rather than potentially spending time with your husband or your partner or whatever. And I think that isn't necessarily great for anyone's sort of mental well-being. Sarah, your children are slightly older. Has this had any major impact on your relationship with them? Uh, no, I think that um, I'm, I feel incredibly lucky to be past the small child stage um, because it is a challenge juggling, you know, but my youngest is 17 and, um, you know, we have, I feel that they have seen me working uh, as, a, as a mom when they were little and writing up certainly PhD work, writing up and they haven't had a conversation with me for six months at a time because it, everything was left to dad and I was working full time and writing up. So it, I was juggling then. But now my structure is very nine to five, Monday to Friday. I don't work evenings. Uh, I do if I'm doing a PPI group meetings, you know, and then we'll, we'll often meet in the evening when it's suitable. But generally my day-to-day -day work is nine to five, Monday to Friday. But then I've had my husband uh, supporting in the sense that his job is flexible. When the kids were little, he was able to do um, school pickup and things like that. And that makes such a difference. The biggest issue for me, I believe, um, is the instability of the, the short-term contracts. So I think that's, for me, it's not really about flexibility because I'm not flexible. I'm very, I like to be very structured in my working day. Um, and I do feel it's the instability of short-term contracts that's the issue. That is going to be what pushes me out um, because of, and COVID as well, you know, my husband lost his job in the first lockdown and now I'm the only earner. Um, the pressure is incredible and I still have dependents and my kids living at home, one of my kids living at home. And I think it's about um, uh, reassessing, uh, you know, what is the most important thing? Is it paying the mortgage and, uh, uh, and, and keeping us, you know, living where in our house or is it following the dream? And the dream is, is hard. It's hard to follow when you're... Um, you know, when you're on your own and in an unstable job, unstable job. Uh, just to follow up on your point, Sarah, sorry, I don't mean to, if you were going to say something, Cam, I just want, I don't mean to paint a rosy picture. Me working really late at night after the kids are asleep is because, like you said, the instability leads on to feeling like the work is never, ever done. So it's not just about meeting your deadlines and getting the paper out from the project. It just feels like this constantness of doing more, doing more, the networking, the papers you write, it just never ends because of the instability. So yes, I don't mean to paint a rosy picture of it's actually okay. It's just, you know, at least I get to pick my children up from school because the work is incredibly hard just for being so unstable. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, the instability is totally the thing that is the most negative thing about for me um but i don't have kids so it's not for that reason it's because i've had to move around so much and that can be really expensive and i'm in a way i'm lucky that i've only had to move within the uk i've not had to have an international move which can be even more expensive and obviously that can make it really difficult to get a mortgage if you're you know moving around or if you're on an insecure contract and i think that can make it difficult for you to buy somewhere, but also it can make, make you feel like, well, how can I feel settled in this place if I might have to move in two years time? Like 
it, it's not only that you ne- might not be able to get a mortgage, it might be that actually you don't want to because you don't want to have that feeling be- being settled. And I know some people, they don't invest in buying their own furniture because, you know, why, why would they feel that this is going to be a, a home for them when they don't know that they're going to be there longer than sometimes even 12 months. I had one contract that was 16 months long. So yeah, definitely the instability is the biggest negative thing for me, even though I don't have um, children to, to have to factor into that. Yeah, I think I completely agree with that one. And I feel like it was almost childish of me when I wanted to get a job in Oxford. I, I almost felt guilty saying one of the reasons I want a job here is because I bought a house. Um, I mean, that that sounds silly, but actually buying a house is an expensive process. And if I had to sell the house and move somewhere else, that's, you know, five, ten thousand pounds down the drain in solicitor fees. And that's just not academics are not paid well enough to lose that kind of money. And so you do have to, you know, think about these things before you choose this this kind of career. I know that, Sarah, you said that you moved around, you you commuted a lot for, for some of your jobs. Do you think that was, did you enjoy doing that? Was that a doubt? Because I don't mind my commute. My, so my commute's about an hour and a half and it involves a bit of cycling. I like cycling and the bus I use as an opportunity to write, uh, to mark essays and sometimes take a nice nap. Uh, but I appreciate that a long commute is not everyone's cup of tea. No, and I think that I, I, it was the dream job. So uh, I sucked it up because I, I wanted this job and it was at the Institute for Dementia in Salford and the reputation was great and I meant I could do exactly what I wanted to do and, and that was why I did it. But again, it was a contract and again, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that it's, it's uh, senior academics uh, role to get, permanent contracts in but um you know things are promised and things are alluded to do a good job and this will happen and we'll get this and we can do that and it, you know the future was you know really quite solid even though uh, I live in Sheffield and it was in Manchester so um I, I thought the train is fantastic 40 minutes so and I have a local station down the road it'll be great but actually, you know, it was £33 return. I know that's not a lot, but when you're doing it five days a week, £600 a month to get the train. So I started driving and I was exhausted. I was just exhausted. In the traffic in Manchester, it was four hours a day, you know, and then a day's work. So four hours, two hours there, two hours back, and then a day's work. It was worth it for the job, um, but I, I don't think I could do it again. Not my age. I'm too old. <laughs> Yeah, the commute can definitely be really tiring. And I think if you live with if you live with someone, that's not the right phrase. If you work with someone who lives within the confines of the city, they tend to not get a commute. So I used I start work very early. So I come in at about quarter past seven to miss in order to miss the traffic. If I if I leave later, I will sit in traffic for easily an hour and 15 minutes. And I think that's massive waste of time when I could just get up earlier and have a shorter commute. So I come in very early, but I, that means I would often leave at like four-ish because I started at quarter past seven. I don't think it's unreasonable to leave at four. 
But then there are people who work within the city who have a five, 10 minute commute. They've turned up at nine and they're looking at their watches at four going, how come you're leaving? You're like, well, I'm not going to get, if I leave now, I'm not going to get home till half six. So if you leave now, you could be home you know, before the half past four news. Don't, you know, so don't judge. And I feel like there's a lot of, there's a lot of differences that that can be gained, uh, that can be, you can get a lot of insight from, from a commute. Um, so you said something that I think is really important. So you said you basically moved to, well, you went to the to the job in Manchester because it was your dream one. Um, and you basically said you had to suck it up and be resilient. And I know in our pre-podcast chat, Cam, you said that one of the things that we almost have to do in academia is to just suck it up and be resilient. And I wonder whether you think that's a good idea or not. Yeah, I don't like um, this narrative that um, the people that do stay in academia are the so-called resilient ones, um, because it suggests that those who leave are not resilient. You have to take into account that we've previously talked about those that leave academia because they've discovered what they're interested in and, you know, they found what they're really, really good at and they've left academia to follow that. But there are also the group of people that leave academia because they've worked in a very toxic and very unsupportive environment during their PhD or during their first postdoc. Um, And they're choosing to leave for that reason. And I think that actually that makes them incredibly resilient to have endured that. So I think for those who leave because they've discovered what they love doing then resilient does resilience doesn't even come into it so yeah I, I it's just something around the word resilience that really bothers me I that's it exactly I feel like the term resilience could mask putting up with something that's really unpleasant and is you know I uh, resilience is seen as a source of strength and I do think there is an element of that but I don't know if it is fair to make it seem that those who are unable to put up with it because it is a really toxic or something else is going wrong is uh, are not a weak or unresilient in some way and it just goes back to the same thing if I don't think the structures in place actually support postdoc life very well I think there is a massive push for grants the way they're kind of the deadlines are getting quicker the grant uh, the number of people that need to be on grants the percentages people have are getting smaller and smaller so more and more people are doing less and less on grants. I just feel like the whole structure in itself is collapsing and postdocs as this middle community, seem, or senior postdocs more like, are uh, this middle community that is having less and less support because I feel like, again, early career researchers get a little bit more support. There is a little bit more of these mentoring schemes for early career researchers, whereas the more senior you get, the more you're seen as resilient and coping. And I don't think I am. I think I'm just got to where I am and now I don't know where to go. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, there is this ethos, isn't there, in academia that suggests you have to be resilient in order to progress. And I've been told in the past to grow a thicker skin. We've spoken about this before and or to be less sensitive, which is absolutely unacceptable. You know, I will not change my personality for any any job. Um, But I think uh, a lot of the academic career path is seen as a competition, a battle. Even I always refer to the Hunger Games uh, as working in academia <laughs> because the only the resilient will succeed or the fastest or the best or the, you know and I think that we can't excel in our own uh, you know we can't we can't excel with our own potential because we have to be these all-rounders um, and you know if we don't 
tick that box and we don't tick that box, we're going to we're going to fail, basically. And I think that it's quite a ruthless context to work in. Um, I'm not sure all academic institutions are like this, but I've worked in a few and there are for sure. Um, and I, but then, you know, I have worked in ones that are much more supportive um, and more collaborative environments, but it's still the short term contracts, you know. So I think that's that's the, for me, that's the thing that has to change um, about, you know, I think we're going to talk about that a bit, enabling um, people for, you know, to have some job security and some stability. Yeah, definitely. And I think I think this almost harks back to the 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 previous episode where we talked about careers that were not necessarily within academia. So I, I spoke to a friend recently and she's more senior than me in terms of she's she's been in academia for much longer, but her contract is is coming to an end. She's not got a grant. She's not sure what to do. And so she went to chat to a very senior academic and the senior academic just said, why don't you just go into industry? And it almost feels like because that's not the job I want to do is not a good enough answer. And I, I don't think I think that that generally there needs to be some kind of of culture change to to allow people to stay within this within this field and being resilient is not necessarily a, a good thing and there's a lot of there's so much uh, there was a big uh, welcome trust study last year year before I can't remember when that basically said something like 40% of academics have sought help for anxiety and depression and i think that's a horrific number that's nearly half the workforce is seeking help for, for, for mental health problems. And the mental health problems are probably induced by the working environment. And I don't think that's a good thing. And hopefully, I'm not gonna say we're gonna fix it on the next episode, but hopefully next time we will, we will come up with some ideas about what needs to change and what we think needs to be instigated in order to change things. So, I want to put it out there once again that there are lots and lots of things that are positive about a career in academia. Like Critica said, it's very flexible. We can get really passionate about, about our research questions. There's lots and lots of things that are positive, as we discussed up top. But the independence and creativity are absolutely amazing, but the instability makes it a very challenging career course. And hopefully this episode has made all of you early career researchers out there aware of this. So once again, I'd like to thank our panelists, Cam, Kritika and Sarah. Join us next time where we'll try and sort out this mess by discussing what we think needs to change. Thank you all for listening. And remember to like and subscribe to the Dementia Researcher podcast at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Stay safe and keep researching. Brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk in association with Alzheimer's Research UK and Alzheimer's Society. Supporting early career dementia researchers across the world.